I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Falconry is defined as a sport of hunting with falcons or other birds of prey. With its origins dating back to some four, four to 10,000 years ago, it's safe to say it's no new kid on the block. Make a connection with a working and working alongside apex predators to achieve a common goal is no easy feat. It's just not something you can just decide one day you're going to do. To better explain the art of falconry, we are joined in the studio by Timothy O'Neill and his hawk... Harris Hawk. Harris Hawk. Forgive me. Yeah. Harris Hawk named Remus. Right. Uh, to dive into arguably one of the coolest ways to take to the woods in search of game. So, Timothy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I, I uh, you know, it's funny because people always, the first question people always ask you is, uh, you know, a lot of my friends are like, this is sort of a bizarro thing that you've decided to do. And um, how did you get started? And, and the story goes back when I was young. I went to school in in England for a semester, the college I had had a study abroad program where you could pay the same and, and go overseas. So I did that. And uh, we were at uh, we were at Shakespeare's birthplace, like the actual house he was born and raised or whatever. And they had a they had a uh, aviary out back and they did falconry education and demonstration, kind of like what, you know, the permit I have now. And so there was a guy out there and uh, they say, OK, we're going to we'll put the bird up in the air. I mean, you, we did, earlier today, we did a little short flights. What they would do is they let the bird wait at what we call, and, and, and throughout this, I'm going to say things, and if you don't understand the term I'm using, just stop me and say, what does that mean? Because there's a ton of falconry terms that don't exist in the normal English language. There's, some of them are from Middle English, some of them are for French, and we just use them like nothing because we don't think about it, okay? <laughs> but anyway, he, he puts the bird, the bird's waiting on. Okay, that means that he's circling in the air. They had trained a Harris Hawk to do this, to wait on, and he's up, I don't know, 400 feet, right? And uh, I'm a kid. I'm like 20. And so he gives me this glove and he gives me a little chick leg like I gave you guys today. And he says, when you're ready, raise your arm. And, I, and he's an English guy. So I looked at him. I go, well, is he even going to see this? Like looking at the meat? He goes, yeah, he'll see it. You know, I'm like, <laughs> okay, all right. So, all right, all right. So then I raise my arm up, right? And this bird, like I said, he's four or 500 feet in the air circling around. And he folds his wings up and he just starts coming at me like a bullet from 400, 500 feet in the air. And, I, and I'm like, my eyes get real wide like saucers and I'm afraid. I'm like, this is not going to go well. Right. And so I start to take a step back and the English guy is just laughing at me. He's like steady, steady now, you know, <laughs> and the birds coming in. I'm like, oh, oh, you know, and the bird right before. And you guys might, might experience this a little bit today, but right before the bird landed, he opened his wings. I barely felt him land. He ate the chick leg. And he looked at me like, what's next? And I thought that was the most magical mofo thing I've ever seen. I thought that was great. And, and I never forgot it. And, you know, I was only 20 and it took me another 10 years and a lot of life stuff, but uh, I became a falconer probably at the age 30, I guess, right around 30, 31. So, uh, but that's kind of what got me hooked was seeing that I'd never seen anybody hunt, but I started the process and I'd never forgotten that moment because, uh, you know, I wanted that. Again, I was like, but, you know, I've been fishing, I've been whatever, but there was nothing quite like that. Yeah, I never in a million years thought I would be like that 
up close and personal with a with a hawk like that, like we were just a little bit ago. Yeah, and that was it's it's really a very the experience is kind of hard to explain. It's uh, I don't know, it was really cool. That's yeah. the best way I can describe it. It, it. Just just being able to be there, <clears throat> hearing the noises he makes when you had him, you know, sitting on the glove, and he's just kind of like cooing. Mm-hmm. You never, I never in my life have I heard that before. You you can't ever get that close to a bird, right? And I have a barn owl that when she's real happy, uh, she actually sort of uh, tweets like a, a canary. It's weird. Like this is a big, you know, barn owl. And that's the noise they make when they're real happy. And I, mm-hmm. you'd never hear that. What you hear is the single scream in the middle of the night that turns your blood cold. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's just one single scream. She does it once in a while. I don't know what triggers it, but it's like, Wah! and you're like, oh, you know, oh yeah, it's just an owl. It's not a ghost. It's an owl. Okay, good. <laughs> so how many birds do you have? Um, right now, currently, I have two Harris Hawks and two owls, two barn owls. Um, and uh, they're kind of split amongst permits. Um, Remus is on the Educational the Falconry School Permit, which is issued by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And I will take a moment because every educational program I do, I have to say that I'm here by the grace of God and U.S. Fish and Wildlife, uh, that they are the ones that permit us to do this. So I would like to thank Carmen Simonton and Michelle Outlaw, who are very great to work with. It's a very difficult process, and they made it much more palatable. And also Florida Fish and Wildlife, who holds the falconry permit. And I'd also like to say thank you to Dot Rains and all the law enforcement people there uh, who do really right by falconry in the state of Florida. So, um, but what was the question? I'm sorry, I got lost in my little spiel. <laughs> we had just talked about how many birds you had. Oh, yeah. So I have four birds that split amongst the permits. Uh, the owls are obviously educational birds. I don't hunt with owls because I mean, some people may be able to do it, but if you want to go out in the darkness and try to track yeah. an owl, I, I mean, I more power to you. If you can do that, it's not, not something I'm going to do, but the barn owls are very gentle by nature. Uh, so they make good educational birds. Um, generally they're very, you know, docile, strangely enough. And then, uh, Romulus is on the abatement permit, which an abatement permit is the permit that allows you to use him to haze trouble birds in commercial settings like hotels and things like that. Um, and he has his own story. He's kind of funny too, but, um, so I have four right now. Um, we're waiting to get more facilities because we'll probably expand the education program. Um, I'm on the board of the Bush wildlife sanctuary and we're planning to do regular falconry education programs there when we move to the new property that we bought like 20 acres. So we're going to build, build, put more birds there, facilities there and do regular programs there so that, you know, because like I said, they can show you a bird, but they can't let you hold it. They can't fly it. You can't fly it. You know, it's a whole different experience. We see a little kid when that bird comes zooming in and like it was for me, right? It, it altered me, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't just a, it wasn't just a, Oh, look at the bird. And that's cool. It's a, here comes the, the bird. And you know, I, I don't know how to feel about this yet. I haven't even processed yeah. it. Right. I'm sure that's how you guys kind of feel too. You're like, you know, I'm for the first time I blew the whistle. How'd you feel? It was kind of crazy. Yeah. It was. It was yeah. It, and then what, what was really, I thought was insane was how light that bird on the glove. Yeah. Just, it was like all of a sudden it just kind of touched you there and you're like, whoa, I figured it would need a little more grip when it got, you know, to land. Nope. It just touched down. Yeah. I liked from the minute that the bird locked on to the, the leg and you could tell it it was locked on. And, And the interesting thing is even though it was flying right at you and you could see it, it's a pretty small target coming at you, mm-hmm. right? I can understand why they're so successful, you know, right. that, and absolutely silent until too late. 
Right. Well, mm-hmm. they, yeah. I mean, they're ambush predators. And, and the thing is, is that um, that is their strength and sometimes their weakness. Because like you said, you notice how he locks on the target, right? But the problem with it is, and this is more a problem for wild red tails, that's why they get killed so much, is because they get blinders on. They see the target. They only see the target. They'll fly right in front of trucks. Trucks. They'll fly right in front of cars. They see a rabbit run. The rabbit run. They they won't look. They're on the target, and that's why a lot of them die because, you know that that that's how they are. Once that once that switch goes off, that's all there is in the world is that target. Got it. Rabbits on the other side of the road. It swoops in, hits low, and right because you see how eighteen wheeler and, and you <laughs> see and you see how today like when he was flying to you guys, they use air as a cushion. For less effort, you notice how he went down, and then he would tilt the wings and pop up to you. He didn't. He wasn't like you know barreling with his wings to get to to height on your fist. He uses the ground. Him and the ground is like an air cushion, and then he'll he'll you know basically tilt the wings a little bit backward, so the the wind speed and the lift takes him right up. And he and that's why he's so light landed on your fist is because he's not pumping to get there. He's basically just you know gliding, gliding, you know gliding down. That's it's really interesting, very interesting. It, it, I don't know having the bird just take off from there and fly across, just across the yard to land on the arm, on my arm. That right. was neat. Where, neat. where you're going, what he just described, I wish that we could have shown people because the way that Tim just described it, when you play back in your mind's eye, what we just saw, because we're in such close proximity. There's a Facebook they, live on the page. Fantastic. Yeah. Because you really, you actually at that, when you're that close, you really can see that the bird is using the air pressure that's building up between he and the ground as yeah. he then makes that last little swoop up to grab the, the chicken leg. Yeah. I was kind of crazy how fast he ate it, man. Just as soon as he landed, gone. He's gone. <laughs> yeah. like, well, that, it, well, and you have to understand that too, and especially Harris hawks. You know, Harris hawks, like I said, they live in family groups. So they're, they're one vice. And this is, we can talk about more of this when we talk about hunting. And a vice with any bird, but especially with Harris hawks, is carrying. You guys had talked about how you were asking me earlier, well, does the bird bring it back to you? Whatever. I'm like, no, no, the bird doesn't bring it back to you. You have to get to the prey. You dispatch the prey if the hawk hasn't already done it. And But the thing with Harris hawks is because they live in family groups, it's a it's a competition on the kill, right? So they see you as, you know, your dad or brother Jim or whoever you are, right? So when you're coming, you're going to eat some of that in their little minds. I mean, even though they know it should oh, so know better. They're getting theirs while they still can. <laughs> right, right. And and the carrying, what the vice of carrying is, is that they'll try to take the prey and fly with it somewhere else away from you. See, now that's an absolute vice because you can't have that because you have to be able to control the kill because you have to, you know, we can talk about that when we get to it, but uh, you have to be able to trade the bird off and, and field dress the rabbit or, or, or whatever. And you can't do that if the bird is dragging it somewhere into the bush to be away from you. But see, that's why he. So that's why he eats it so quick. He wants to make sure you're not going to get any of it. Yeah, that, that's what he's doing. He's like, oh, yeah, I see it. Yeah, yeah, mine. Yeah. So. So how does someone get involved uh, in the art form of hunting with a bird of prey? Well, okay. Uh, I will start out by saying that falconry is the most regulated form of hunting in the United States and in the state of Florida. That you're not going to just walk in one day and say I want to be a falconer. Okay. Uh. My daughter actually just started the process. She passed the falconry exam last week, so I was proud of that. She's 17. You know, okay, we were talking earlier, I think, inside that, you know, she was in a stroller. There's a picture for her in a stroller as a little baby behind a big old female red tail, you know, taking off from the perch, doing training just like we did today. And she's always had a hawk outside her window her entire life in the muse. The muse is the enclosure. That's what it's called. And um, 
you know, and so you have to take the test, right? You have to get at least, there's a hundred questions. You have to get at least 80 of them right to pass. That's the easy part. Then after that, you have to find someone to be your sponsor for two years. Um, you know, so it's a sponsor, it's a sponsor or apprentice system. So in other words, there's someone who has to agree to teach you for two years. Okay. Two hunting seasons. Um, and that person, uh, is, is that it's not the state. It's that person who really in the end will decide if you ever become a falconer or not. And I don't think a lot of people who get into falconry who are younger understand that. Okay. The guy that taught me was an auto body mechanic. I still call him sensei. There's no other word for him than sensei, right? Because he spent that much time to teach me, number one. And number two, I understood that that I had to have that amount of respect that if he said something when I was, now, now it's like he tells me something to do something. Like, but back then, when I was the apprentice, if he said do it that way, you did it that way. Because at the end of two years, if he decides he isn't going to sign that little letter that goes to Dot Rains up in Fish and Wildlife, you're never going to be a falconer in the state of Florida. Okay. Right. And a lot of people, they get their own ideas. They want to be apprentices. They want to do it. But then I can't tell you how many times I've heard falconers say, I told them don't use this equipment. It's dangerous. I tell them to do this. It's dangerous. Don't use that. Don't. And they just they want to do it their own way. And this is not the way it works. It's a sponsor apprentice system. And you have it. And, and on the flip side, if I'm your sponsor, I have responsibilities. If you have a problem, I have to be available by phone. Hopefully, I live close enough that I can drive and see it. I should, I have to help you instruct you how to build your muse, which is another thing you have to do. So after you pass the test, you have to build the facility. Uh, once you build the facility, you have to have a sponsor, of course, then fish and wildlife actually drives to your house. Inspector gets out. He takes a look at your enclosure. He says, you know, like a mine, he's like, uh, I was halfway through. He says, yeah, uh, I want to see uh, half the roof open, not a third of it. Okay. I don't, because the, the part of the roof is barred. Uh, on the old one, and he and he says, "I, I want to see, I want to see half, not third. He goes, "What are you going to use for the substrate on the floor?" I said, "I was going to use sand." He goes, "No, no, no, I want to see pea gravel." So that's what I did, right? So then he gets in his truck and he's got this little map. Now this is this is twenty years ago, right? So imagine now, but twenty years ago, or seventeen years ago, whatever it was, he gets in the truck and I'm sitting there talking to him, and he gets up the computer on his dashboard on his in his truck, and he's see my house on the map. He's moving this big X over it and whatever and clicking. I'm like, what's what's that for? He goes, well, we like to keep track of our class three licenses. So, I mean, I'm, my, my, my house is on the GPS map. They know where all the Falconers are by GPS coordinates, who we are, you know, everything. So, so then it had to get his approval. And then after that, then the real front starts. Then you have to, then you, the real test, I think, for most people is then you have to trap a bird. Okay, that's the first step. You have to uh, you have to go out and search, find, and trap a red tail, uh, and that can take months. You know, because uh, things go wrong. You can't find any red tails. The red tails haven't migrated down here yet from up north, uh, and uh, you know that that takes patience and a lot of a lot. Of, you know, there were times when I was younger. I mean, it was every weekend, three months, three four months until I finally found one. You know, it might have been the last day of trapping season. And in fact, the first red tail I got. My daughter, <laughs> this is terrible. My daughter had been born probably eight days before, but I knew trapping season was over. And so I, I just, I ran out for like one more try and I finally found a big female and took her in. And I think about that now. I'm like, idiot, you had a new daughter and you're out there running trapping a bird, you know? And I look back now, I'm like, what a, what a jackass, right? But at the time I was, you know, 
Um, I was, I was, you know, really committed to it, but anyway, so you have, that's the big test. Um, and I have, I've had how many apprentices now? I don't know, four or five. Um, but that's the test and I'll sit in the car with them and I'll teach them how to do it. And then once they learn and we trap a few birds, a lot of times you, and you can only trap a juvenile bird. It makes it even harder is that it has to be a juvenile bird. It can't be an adult. You're not allowed to trap a bird with a red tail. It has to be its first year immigration bird. So that makes it even more difficult. But we might trap a few red shoulders and, you know, explain them how it goes. And then they might be able to go on their own, usually with somebody else. But, you know, uh, usually in the first hour, month, two months, I'm in the car with them the entire time. So what kind of special regulations are there in, in place for hunting with a bird of prey? Well, um, we all have to have hunting licenses just like anybody else. Uh, so we're subject to all the hunting licenses regulations. Um, the, everything I've described is in addition to that. Essentially you have to, all the, the precursor, you can't just go buy a rifle or, or a handgun or whatever. You have to do everything I just said in order to get a, an apprentice permit. And then for two years, you have to, you know, we go, go out. When I was young, we, we went to the cane fields in Palm Beach County. And back when you could do that, uh, some people messed that up for us. But, uh, and my sponsor was just hardcore. I mean, you got in the field when the sun came up and you left the field when the sun came down, unless the bird took game. And that's how it was. You marched around all day long. You took a break maybe, but that sun up to sundown, he was, he, and I mean, there, there were times I had to have somebody else drive because I was like so tired. I passed out in the back of the truck because I, I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't stay awake more because we've been walking. I don't know how many miles we walked, but that's, that's how it was with him. And he also was uh, a big fan the way he wanted, he, he wanted me to learn the traditional way, which I, I don't particularly care for, which is hunting from the fist. I don't, I don't, I don't, when you see like, like Remus, if I took him hunting, I have a painter's pole with a T perch on top and I hold that painter's pole and usually I'll, I'll, I'll latch it into the belt on the vest that I wear and march around with the bird another 8, 10 feet in the air because that gives him a height advantage when there's no trees. Now, if there's trees, it's not a big deal because he can go from tree to tree and follow you. But if you're in a cane field, there are no trees. And so the birds kind of need that that extra height to drop down and, and get enough speed sometimes to fly down a rabbit that's running 25, 30 miles an hour. Um, plus, can you can you imagine what it's like walking around with your arm out like this to your side, holding it straight out for six, <laughs> seven, eight hours. I used to carry a walking stick just so I could transfer the walking stick to that hand and hold it and rest my arm. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I was like in one of those weird movies. I don't know if you guys ever saw that weird movie. It was like an M night Shalaman movie where the guy only worked out one arm and like the one arm was so buff and the other arm was like, you know, sickly. That was like me. I had this like buff right <laughs> arm from holding that hawk all day, like isometric exercise for seven hours a day. It almost seems like you need one of those casts for people that mess up their shoulder where there's just people, a bar there. People do that who fly eagles. They, they, a lot of them get like a, because an eagle is eight pounds. So they'll, That's they'll get area. like a brace like that. And because there's just no way you could hold it on your arm that long. And the, and, and here's why he wanted me to do that. Okay. Because, especially with a wild red tail or any other sort of wild bird that you have to understand that they have their own ideas about what the target is. Okay. So if there's a rat running along, that's a target. Okay. And that's not what we're there for. You know, we, you're trying to create a successful bird that can take down rabbit or squirrel. A lot of times people hunt squirrel with red tails. Um, that's what you're looking for, but they see a rat, man. It's fair game to them. That's been their bread and butter. If you, if you took them from the wild, almost always they've hunted rat. They know that. And it takes, that's the other thing is it takes confidence. They don't always have the confidence to take down a rabbit. 
So you have to teach them. You have to keep showing them the rabbit, get, keep getting rabbits to run, get them to try, you know, sometime. And then they learn, they have to learn that they got to get the rabbit by the head because they get the rabbit by the butt, which is the big target, that big fluffy white tail. They get the rabbit by the butt, they go for a ride, right? You know, the <laughs> rabbit's running and the hawk's got him by the butt going, why isn't he stopping, you know? And it's because you have to figure out how to get him by the head. So a lot of it is trial and error for a while um, when you're hunting with a bird of prey. So, um, and that, you know, that's, so anyway, so you hunt from the fist. The reason why you hunt from the fist is because then you can control the release, which means that I would t- thread the straps on the legs are called the Jesses. I think we talked about that earlier, but you thread those through your fingers. The idea is when you see what you're going for, you have to be, have your head on a swivel as the falconer because you're supposed to splay your fingers as soon as you see it. Because I can tell you something, if you hold that red tail back and it sees something legit, it is not happy with you when you're done. Like I used to have a big female. I was too slow. I didn't see it. And so she tried to bolt. She went forward and flopped because I didn't have the feet. And then she went and missed after that. She'd come back to the fist and just sit there, left foot, right foot, <clears throat> just squeezing, alternating left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. <laughs> Cause she, you know, she wanted to let you know that you screwed that up, buddy. <laughs> Yeah. You screwed that up. Not me. Kind of like dogs. You go blam, blam, blam. And nothing falls into the water. They back at you like, yeah, you should have hit that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Except for the, the, I don't think your dog, that'd be kind of like if your dog came over and took your arm in its mouth and started going, yeah, you know, on you. Yeah. just gave you a little gnaw to say, Hey, you don't do that again. So you mentioned it's a two year process to be an apprentice. And you mentioned that the, your sensei had you out there hiking your yeah. miles and things in the building of the Mew and the regulation. This is not something that you decide you're going to try out. It sounds like this is something that, if you want to be a falconer, you better carve out a pretty big piece of space. You don't do falconry in law school at the same time. No, no, it, you no, you don't. You, it's all you do, right? Well, I mean, it's it, it, you can get it done in your extra time, but and here's the thing: is I, I hear all the time, you know, there's these Facebook pages that we have that in our have to do with falconry here in Florida. I think you guys know one of them because you 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 contacted me through it, but. If you look on that page, you'll see every five minutes there's somebody who wants to be, I want to I want to go with you. I want to be a falconer, blah, 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 blah. And my answer is always the same. Pass the test. Go take the written test. Study. Understand what it is you're seeing first. Then I'll take you. But I'm not going to do it before then because I can't tell you how many people I've been through who came out and, and got out of position, right? Because if you don't understand how the hunting works with the bird of prey, you don't know where to walk. You don't know how to walk. You don't know where the target is. You don't understand the angles. You have to understand the angles of where the bird is versus where the, the prey is going to flush from, where the most likely direction is. All those tactical things you have to do, they're generally going to mess it up. So you're doing them a favor. And I agree 100% that's part of it. A lot of people don't believe in that. A lot of people do not believe. I mean, there are certain falconers who won't take anyone with them no matter what. In fact, they won't even take other falconers with them. You know, especially long wingers. Like, us, us, I'm a dirt hawker. That's what we call us. The We hunt ground prey, dirt hawkers. Well, we're, you know, we're a little less in the cast <laughs> system, right? We're not, we don't have the, we're not hunting duck with the long wing, right? So, so we don't know how it's done. And, you know, some of them won't take us because we're going to mess up their hunt, right? Which is, I don't agree with that, but whatever. It's their bird. But I'm just saying that, uh, so you see all these people who want to do it all the time, but A, they don't have any appreciation for, like you said, what you're going to have to carve out, and B, they have no understanding of what they're seeing or what what we're dealing with. They've never read anything about it. They just want to see it. It's cool. Okay, good. Learn about it first. Then come talk to me because you're asking me to give up two years of my life to you, you know, my spare time to, to teach you, right? You want me to be sensei? 
you're going to have to be a good grasshopper. That's the other thing. He used to call me grasshopper all the time. <laughs> that makes yeah, sense. He used to, oh, grasshopper. You mentioned misunderstanding even between people that are interested and might want to get into it. I would imagine, because all, all sportsmen, I think some sums suffer from quite a bit of misunderstanding just into what we do with a, with a certain segment of the public. I would have said dog hunters already suffer, right? Falconers must be, to a certain ex- segment of the population, looked at as the great Satan because you, you know, the, they don't yeah. understand that, that yeah. the falcons aren't like parakeets. They well, don't need to be entertained. They actually are very comfortable sitting inside the mew. Well, I'll give you a perfect example of that. And I, I'm, 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 like I said, I'm a lawyer, so I had to control myself. I didn't want, I wanted to get up and start arguing myself, which I couldn't because I was an expert witness, but there was a case and I won't get into all the details and I'll leave the names out, but there was a criminal case where there was a falconer here who lived not very far from here and he was an apprentice and he had a red tail and it was right before a hurricane. Okay. And you notice how I showed you how you have to hold the leash and wrap it around your fingers, whatever. Well, when the wind's blowing, whenever, and that's the thing about birds of prey, when the wind's blowing, it's like surfs up for them, right? When the wind blows, they want to go. They want to soar. That's their instinct, okay? So they get a little crazy when it's windy, which is why when it's windy, you can't hunt. And I've made that mistake before. And we can talk about that later during hunting stories. But I made that mistake. You have to be the captain. And no matter how bad you want to hunt, if the conditions are not right, you cannot do it because you will lose the bird. And you may never get the bird back, right? If it's on a soar and the wind takes 18 miles, you have you have telemetry on it, but you may still never find it, right? Anyway, so what happened was, is that the bird got away from it. Now, the bird had the straps on his leg, including the leash and the swivel, okay, which is like a Y formation that comes down from their legs. If it has, if a bird has that on it, when it, if it gets, if it escapes, that's almost always a death sentence, okay, because that Y formation gets, hangs on, hangs down, it gets caught on a tree branch, they inevitably hang upside down, and within hours, they're going to be dead, okay? So the wind was blowing, it got away from him, right? And he was frantic. It's like the storm's coming. He's out driving around, sleeping outside for like two or three days trying to find this bird because he knows it's dead if he doesn't find it, right? Well, I guess somebody sees it hanging in a tree and calls a rehabber, which is what you should do, right? Absolutely. I'm on the board of rehabber. They know what they're doing. They know about rescuing. So that's what they did. So they call this, you know, they call the rescue people and the woman comes, gets it. She saves it. Absolutely. She saved that bird. She did. But then it was on the news. Right. It's on the news and she's petting the bird and all this stuff, which, you know, it's a wild red tail, but she's petting the bird and whatever. Right. And he sees it and he sees the jewelry. We call the jewelry, the anklets. He had, he had real expensive anklets. You know, some kids are like crazy. They don't make their own. They buy some expensive English stuff. Right. It's really cool. Well, it, it, you know, very unique. Yeah. No rebir- no rehabbers using this stuff. Right. So they're showing the bird. He sees the, the anklets on it and he's like, oh, that's my bird. And so he calls her. He thanks her and he wants it back, but she doesn't agree with falconry. So she she says she's not giving it back. Right. So he calls fish and wildlife. And so they send an officer over there. And by the time they get there, she says, well, I let it go. Right. So she let it go. So she got charged criminally for conversion because, you know, and this is a very hard thing to explain because most people, if I steal from you, you think of it as I came and I took your wallet or your TV and then I'm using it. That's stealing. But, Stealing also means that if I deprive you of the use of something, if I took your TV and just bashed it to nothing, you know, for whatever reason, that can also be stealing because you no longer have it. 
right? Yeah. Okay. So we went to a full criminal trial and they called me as an expert witness to testify to the jury to explain to them about falconry, right? Because he wasn't, you know. And so I was explaining, and man, the public defender, and I'm all for public defenders. I'm all for people having a defense. I don't, you know, so don't get me wrong in this. Right, it's part of the system. It's part of the system. That's not, that wasn't my issue. My issue was, is he starts using words like torturing the bird, starving the bird. Leading, yeah. Yeah, well, it's not just leading. I mean, I'm looking at the judge, like, are you going to step in here any minute? No. I'm looking at the prosecution, you're going to object, but they're like, well, he's a lawyer, so let it go, I guess. But, But I said to him, I said, I said, we're not starving the bird. I said, let me put it to you this way. Do you think an Olympic sprinter could run a a, a forty yard dash while he was starving to death? Do you think that's possible? So, do you think a bird of prey could take take game and fly like a bat out of hell if it was starving to death? Do you think that you know if it was emaciated and sick and whatever? Do you think it could do that? No. I mean, oh, I was I was I was hot. I had to really like you know take some deep breaths on that witness stand because I was like. You know, that not only is it, not only was it egregious for me as a lawyer, that was, it was unprofessional and it was egregious because he was saying things that were absolutely not true, merely incendiary to try to get the jury's attention. And it made, oh, it made me angry. Well, and, part, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Part no. of the, so part of the spirit in falconry, because the mortality rate in young birds is so high, we discussed this a little bit off yeah. Microphone. The, the spirit is so, the mortality is so high that you are helping to ensure that that young bird, like the red tails, reaches sexual maturity and is fully capable of surviving in the wild. So that when you release it, it goes back into the breeding population to make more red tails. Right. Yeah. yeah that's that's the idea, and that's how a lot of people who fly red tails. That's how they do it. Is that you know you get a red tail that can only eat rats, and you know a rat will last a red tail a day, right? You get a red tail that learns how to kill a rabbit. It can gorge itself on a rabbit. You know, each, and I'm sure you guys who have hunted birds know that most birds have a crop yeah. in their chest. You know, like if you've ever opened up a crop, hawks have a crop too, right? And they actually, they actually have enzymes that make sure the meat doesn't spoil in their neck. Hmm. So hmm. they can gorge that. And that's what you'll see when, if like Remus or whatever, when, when after a hunt or a long day, even if they don't catch anything, they always get what we call it. They always get a full crop, which means we give them enough. They gorge. Their neck is like sticking out to here, full of meat, and then they just move over what they need to their stomach as they need it, right? So if you can teach a bird to kill a rabbit, well, that's enough to keep it going for a week, right? You know, so that's the difference. And, and then you got, it's a breeder, it's a breeding age, so it survived long enough to breed. And yeah, 95%, according to the studies done by Fish and Wildlife, 95% of red tails die in their first year. They never make it. And yeah, that's just something that's always lost to me with anybody that is seems to characterize sportsmen and dogs or sportsmen and birds is unless you've seen the two, the dog and the hunter or the falcon and the, the bird and the falconer yeah. working together to see the symbiosis that you could see even the short time that we worked together, the bird having the time of its life. Yeah. Right. Going out and getting me a chicken leg. Yeah, well, and, and he well the thing is, it's not really it's the he likes the chicken leg, but strangely enough, he just likes people. He, yeah, he, I, I part of you know, and it's kind of a complex thing with them because he was raised by hairsocks. You can get birds that are raised by people, which are imprints. He's not really an imprint. Some people would argue that some hairsocks become dual imprint. They think they're a person too, but I, it never fails, man. He might be all mad at me, 
Like, you know, he was a little salty this morning when I got him out. And <laughs> on the way drive here, I got on the phone. He'd start hollering in the back just because, you know, he's bored in his box in the back. But you see what happened as soon as I pulled him out and handed one to you. Not a peep out of him, just the cooing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because he likes people. And the thing is, is mentally he needs that input. And for and some birds, it's not people, but it's whatever. But with him, it's people. You give him more more people you have. Now, he'll get tired after about five or six hours of it because I've had him using him in education programs where I handed it off to people routinely for five straight hours until about the five-hour mark. He was great, you know? So, yeah, you're right. Just like a dog, they live for that. And he lives, especially when you're out, when I take him hunting, you know, he, they live for that, man. Their little heads, you, you talk about being on a swivel, their little heads are like, you know, just, just popping around like this. Yes. And, you know, and it, when they're at the right weight, of course, they're too heavy. Then they're like, eh, whatever. Yeah. I said I noticed that when I was holding him, that he was like constant. He was just looking everywhere around. Him. He was constantly looking at everything. And, and that's not even hunting mode. That's just normal mode. Hunting mode is even worse because his head. You'll see his head start to rotate like almost in a circle, because what he's doing because they don't have their eyes aren't on the front of their heads. They're on the side, right? So what he's doing is he's judging, and you almost know when they're going to take off because they do that to judge distance. You'll see their head actually move from top to side and they move it around. So in like a clockwise motion. In a clockwise yeah. motion, yes. And that's how they're they're gauging distance. And that's when you know they're gonna be a donkey and take off because they're gonna, you know, they're gauging the distance of whatever target they're like, oh, how far is that? Okay. I got it. That's pretty neat. So what influenced your decision to hunt with the the Harris Hawk? All right. Well, uh so I hunted with red tails for about a decade. Um and uh I had a big female and she was real strong, real powerful. And a lot of people would, if you had a big female, they'd say hunt squirrel. I'm not really interested so much in hunting squirrel because to me, squirrels are just, uh, it's a whole lot of a mess a lot of times because squirrels bite a lot. Yeah. And I've seen many hawks opened up on the feet. Uh, you know, they make special chaps for them and the chap looks like a downward facing funnel. And the idea is so that the, the squirrel can't get its head around and bite the hawk when it's got it pinned. But, um, but the Harris Hawk mostly, I think, because um, because they're affable, number one, and number two, because they're a little faster than a red tail generally, uh, you know. And uh, and my sponsor was against it. Absolutely, he'd only ever seen people with Harris Hawks, and that's the thing about Harris Hawks is if you treat a Harris Hawk like you do a red tail, and most people don't understand that, you're going to ruin the bird. You can't because our red tail is wild. A Harris Hawk is bred in a chamber. Okay, so if you go in and feed it like you'd feed a red tail. It believes that you're the source of food. You're mom and dad. I'm going to scream to you every time I see you for food. And I'm never going to hunt. Right? And I was so paranoid about that. I called my sponsor. Didn't know anything about Harris Hawks. So I'd call his sponsor because he he knew about it. I go, oh, I'm screwing this up. She's, he's like, no, let's keep doing what you're doing. I went around for four months. That bird would hit a rabbit, knock it over, and watch it run away. She didn't have the confidence to bind to it yet. She should fly him down, nail it. Yeah. Uh, and that went on for like four months. You know, I had to hunt all the way through the summer, and but once she got one and got it down, ever there ever after, it was it was it was on. But mostly because they're like you see how he is, right? A wild red tail is not like that. You know, they they're just they're they're gentler to people, but still hell on game. Uh, Jordan, he's not a, a falconer, but he did get a squirrel from a hawk this year. This past yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Well, it. well, well I'll, I'll, I'll tell you he, what. My, go he ahead. graced me with it. Did he? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what my sponsor used to say to me. We'd be driving along, and uh, he had a squirrel or something. He's like, "Hawks in the back. That's a kill." <laughs> <laughs> 
they were uh, they were coming back down the trail, coming back to where he'd all parked the trucks. And what did, was he sitting on the tree limb with it? I don't know. He just sitting he, on the ground, I think. Yeah, and, and he, then all of a sudden, when we he pulled flew up, off, he flew off. Yeah, <laughs> and the squirrel was still like alive. I was like. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> and and you wonder why Remus took that chick leg so fast. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he, he knew. He knew. Oh. So, uh, what are the old... Oh, so, you, you've hunted with the red-tailed hawk, the... The Harris, Harris hawk. hawk. Right. And those now, are the only two species... Those are the only two with? species I've hunted with. The other thing about Harris hawks, too, which is unique... Well, it, naturally, they hunt... You can hunt them with what we call a cast, Okay. You can't, some people I've seen do that with red shoulders, but naturally they don't hunt together. Harris hawks can hunt in a cast. So for instance, uh, you could launch two or three of them at once, right? So it's not just one bird on the hunt. You got three of them. So if a rabbit misses one, guess what? His brother or, or his sister is on the other side coming the other way at him, right? And so, and then you'll see coordinated flights. They, you know, they generally all take a different role, a flusher, a closer or, or whatever. And so. That's another reason why I've never hunted in a cast because it's it's a lot to manage two or three birds at once. But but I've seen it done and it is pretty cool that. Uh, and the other thing is is you know for instance technically if you had a cast like say you had a cast of two females one female couldn't take down a turkey, but probably two or three, yeah, yeah they could take a turkey. I've seen I've seen a female red tail hit a turkey and fight with it. I mean couldn't take it down you know i mean it was a you know and you talk about kerfuffle trying to get those two you know separated (laughs) well i mean i had an apprentice who had a big female red tail and its favorite thing was to go after like uh, egyptian geese (laughs) and 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 i called him up i go what are you doing i see he sends me a selfie he's got a black eye like what happened he goes another egyptian goose i was trying to get there off of there the goose was beating me in the face with its wing and you know i was like yeah you gotta teach that bird to go after squirrels instead of egyptian geese Earlier, you mentioned barred owls. Barn owls. Barn. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, I've seen, I saw an owl hit a turkey and take it clean off the roost. Yeah. But one of the big, I think they're barred owls. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing, and that's the thing is, see, birds are probably, even my hawk is completely defenseless against an owl. And for instance, you know, like when we have the falconry meets, I think we talked a little bit about that. We usually do it in the winter. And we'll have what we call, and so everybody will bring the birds out and we'll perch them out. So we'll be at a hotel and you'll see like 30 birds of prey or 15 birds of prey out, separated, of course, but all out in a big field. And we usually have what we call the yard warden, the person who, there's one person so everybody else can walk around to do whatever. The birds are still out getting sunshine, maybe able to take a bath, whatever. There's one person who's set there to watch them all. Well, the worst thing you want to ever, you, you ever want to hear from the yard warden, and I remember we were in Mount Dora actually. I think it was, no, Crystal Springs. We were in Crystal Springs one year. And we're all outside and, you know, I mean, the yard wardens, it's got to stay sober. I'm not saying the rest of us were. But, <laughs> but uh, you hear all of a sudden, G-H-O, G-H-O. And, oh, my, you know, everybody's up. I don't care if you can't even walk no more. You're, you're on the move. You hear G-H-O, Great Horn Owl. There's a Great Horn Owl sighted in the tree, and he's down there looking at all your birds going, which one's going to be tonight's dinner, right? And it's getting to dusk. Cause we're going to put them yeah. away in the darkness anyway, but it was like almost sunset and boy, you know, and you hear that, you hear the, and one starts, everybody starts yelling GHO just in case you didn't hear it. There's every, every falconer that hears GHO will repeat yelling GHO until every bird is put away. Uh, Cause that, you know, owls are a big threat to our birds and also bald eagles are a big threat. Right. I've, I've almost seen, um, I've seen people almost lose birds to bald eagles before, which seems odd because I don't see bald eagles that often, but I've almost seen a falcon lost to a bald eagle and, I've seen him go after a Harris Hawk once. 
That's interesting. The great horned owl is the death star of the avian community. Apparently. It is. <laughs> well, big, big, powerful bird. Big, powerful bird. A, a, a female great horned owl is not something to mess with. Not, yeah. I mean, they, and, and the thing is, they come in, like you say, like a turkey on a roost or a bird of prey on a roost, they're silent, completely silent, and the birds are blind. You know, like a, a like my bird at night, he can't see anything, right? They're, they have specialized vision for the day. At night, they're blind as a bat. And that bird comes in silent. Just, they just come. That's what they do. They come in and just drag them right off their perch. They grab them right off the perch and kill them. Yeah, when I say I saw it happen, I, that's a misnomer. It was dusk. I, we were deer hunting. Um, and the turkeys, I didn't know they were there until they flew up to roost that made a big commotion. Right. And then shortly after that, everything went silent until kapow. And then the other turkey, because there was more than one turkey in the tree. Right. When, when the owl took the other turkey, I didn't hear an impact or anything like that. You just, there was a commotion and then you see, I saw the owl leaving with the turkey, which amazed me because it wasn't, it didn't knock it to the ground. Right. I mean, it, it hit it and kept going. Right. <laughs> like, that yeah, was, yeah. Uh, cause I mean, we've, their hens, but that, that's not, that's quite a bit of weight. I mean, I would almost yeah. think that's got a, that the turkeys got away almost as much as the owl. Right. And, and I think. I don't know, but I think that uh, the studies they've done is that a lot of times uh, some birds of prey can carry almost double their own body weight. That's good mm. lord. So, so and, and, and what you saw was probably a, a great horned owl. Now it could have been a barred owl or something, but it wasn't. It wasn't a barn owl that did that. Too no. small. It was. It was a, probably a great horned owl that did that. Okay, I only assumed it was a barred owl only because there's. It could have been. Bar, I, I don't a, know. A barred owl is pretty big too, yeah. but, but I would assume that type of aggressiveness probably a great horn. I don't know. Okay. So, so when you're hunting, do you with the bird? Do you need to be on the lookout for those predators? Yeah, yeah. You got also got to look out for wild birds. You know, a lot of times when you're hunting, you'll see there'll be a wild uh, red shoulder, red tail, or whatever, and you know you'll you'll know because they're above you soaring and they start screaming when they see you hunting your bird. And they'll also attack your bird. They probably won't kill it. Is it like a competition thing? Like yeah, it's their birds after my food. Yeah, it's their territory. It's their territory. That's the other thing. That's why a lot of juveniles die because adults have established territories. And if a juvenile comes into it, they will drive them out. Trust me. And so they starve. Um, and the same thing if you're hunting in their territory and they see you, that you'll first you'll hear the red tail scream. And then, you know, if your bird's up in a tree, it may get attacked. Yeah. I noticed earlier I, I, uh, when we were out in the backyard with your bird, how quick you keyed in under that buzzard that was flying around. Over yeah. The well, and that, yeah, that's just old habit that right. you know, anything of that size uh, and, and, you know, that's, uh, you, you better, if you want to keep your birds, you better learn how to do that. Well, that's your hunting partner. You got to keep them safe. Just as you know, if the, if the four of us were in the woods, we're all looking out for each other. He's just as important to you as, as right. any of us are to each other. Right. Well, and it's, it's an interesting concept when you think about it, because you know, you guys, when you're hunting, you have, uh, uh your weapon is a rifle or something that you, you know, whatever I, my weapon is, it, it lives, it breathes and it thinks on its own. Right. So I have to understand how he thinks. Uh, in order to be successful at it. And every bird kind of thinks a little different. Their personality is a little different. What they're going to do is a little different. And what I didn't understand when I got in falconry is what tactical thinkers they are. Like I always thought, you know, I, I, I you know, cause you, like I said, we were talking earlier about dogs and my analogy is as a dog on a football team, a dog would be a great defensive player because dogs react well. They, they, they got a job. They do, you know, they, they react to what the offense is doing, but, but, but it's more of a reaction and good skill in, 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 in reacting to the environment. Uh, uh, bird of prey is more like, was like the offense. They have a plan, right? There's a plan. There's a gap they're going to go for. There's the, you know, there's who's going to block this way. That's how they're thinking. 
It's not a, it's not a reaction necessarily. They're up in that little perch up there, just thinking away, you know, dogs are obviously problem solvers or whatever, but birds of prey are planners. And I didn't understand that. I went hunting once with my sponsor and we were at the, you know, we usually go to the cane fields after they've been mowed because the whole cane fields bare, except for the, 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 just around the surround around the outside, there's, there's a thicket and that's where the bunnies are. Cause there's nowhere else to be. And, uh, we were moving a marsh rabbit through this thicket and the bird kept baiting. You know, she kept trying to get away and I, and it was too thick for her to get at him, but I could see him moving and she could too. And my sponsor finally looked at me, he goes, let her go. I'm like, but, but she's, I'm not going to control her. She's going to be out of position when he goes into the open, whatever. He goes, just watch what she does. Okay. Let her go. Bird flies right down the end of the thicket to the pole and sits at the end. He goes, she knows that's where he has to come out and she's waiting. Took him down, took him out, and uh, and sure enough, uh, as soon as he as soon as he bolted from there, she was right there and pounced on him, and then he and then he started, uh, you know, I don't know if you know much about if you've ever hunted marsh rabbit or, or uh, whatever, but you know they have claws and they like to swim, and so he's trying to drag her into the water, right? And we had been and she and I had been kind of at odds a little bit because you know red tails don't love you like a Harris hawk does, and. Uh, she had footed me a few times and, you know, we had our disagreements, but I'll never forget the relationship changed that day because he's pulling her down the water. She's got him by the butt because she doesn't understand yet that you have to get him by the head and he's dragging her down. He knows I'm going to drag her in the water. I'm going to go under. She can't go with me, right? Or I'm going to swim. I'm going to get her all wet and she can't fly anymore or whatever. He had good instincts. Anyway, so I come sliding down the hill and I grab his back legs. I'll never forget this. She looks up at me. She looks at the rabbit, looks at me. Gets him by the head, never footed me again after that. Relationship was completely different. Oh, you're, you're on my side. You do have a purpose here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you are worth something yeah, to you're me. You're not just a place to sit. Yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. just a refrigerator. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's and I didn't understand that. He told me, he goes, let her go. Well, well she's not going to know what to do. She's not. He said she already knows what to do. It's instant. It's not just instinct, though. They, they think about it. They honestly think about it. I mean, you know, my old female Harris Hawk, you know, uh, that's the other thing is they like to stay active. I had a German short hair, and those two idiots would play tag, okay? The dog thought it was funny to go stick her face in between the bars of the muse, and the Harris would come down and try to smack her on the face with just the palm of her foot, never with the claws, and they would do that for 45 minutes. The dog, the dog would try to get not hit in the face, get its face out before it got hit. And then, and then the bird would fly back and the dog go right back and stick its face in like it was on point, you know, with its nose between the bars and they would, you know, and it was like a game. And so like I said, they are, they think a lot more than you would expect. And they, and they are tactical thinkers. And the other thing is they do not, hair socks a little more so you have to know how to handle them because they do not forgive certain things, Right. If you don't learn how to make in on a kill properly and trade them off and they think you stole from them, they never forget that. And let me tell you something. You want to talk about a bird that's going to foot you. That's a bird that's going to foot you. If it thinks you're stealing from it, that you're taking its food, nah, it, you, you, you know, you got a problem then. To make that clear, so if the Harris Hawk kills a rabbit, mm-hmm. you don't just come up and take the rabbit from the Harris Hawk. You do not. You give it something else in exchange. It's a, essentially a barter. Correct. But what you what do you, you wait for the Harris Hawk to accept the gift before you take the rabbit? Well, it, well, it, you don't have a choice. And let me so let me explain how okay. it works. So, Harris Hawk takes down the rabbit. The rabbit's on the ground, right? The rabbit's probably still fighting the Harris Hawk, depending. 
you go, you first thing you gotta do is you gotta get around the feet and the claws, and then you gotta dispatch the rabbit with your hands. Okay. So now some people, women, sometimes who, who may not have the upper body strength to do that. A lot of times they'll have an awl or something to use for that purpose. Okay. How, um, how do you dispatch the rabbit? If you don't mind me asking, you get it by the back legs, you put your thumb behind its head and you pull Okay. Yeah. And it's very quick and, and it's done. very ethical and, and it's done. Yeah. I mean, and because a hawk would sit there and continue to puncture the rabbit with its claws until it died. And that's how it works in the wild, but that's not how it works in falconry. So anyway, so then the rabbit, so the rabbit's dispatched, right? And the hawk isn't going to let it go. I'll guarantee you the hawk ain't going to let it go. So you have to have a towel in your vest. You take the towel and you cover the rabbit so it can no longer see the rabbit. Now I can feel the rabbit. I can feel them. You'll see the bird will sit there and look all around, and you've got it covered and wrapped in a towel so it can no longer see it. So then you take a piece of tidbit or whatever out of your vest, and you offer that off to the side so the hawk has to step off the rabbit to get to the tidbit you're offering it. And then you let it have it, right? And then generally, if it's a successful hunt, then you'll, you'll take one leg from the rabbit, and you'll let it gorge on that, and you'll give it, you'll check the liver, the lungs, the liver to make sure there's no spots or anything on its health. Oh, healthy, yeah. healthy, yeah, healthy liver. And then you'll feed it all that in the field because they, they don't, they, they remember that a warm meal, a gorge. And they, and they also remember that full crop they have, you know, my, my sponsor explained it. They have some sort of sensors. I don't know what he meant, but they have, they have a feeling when they get that thing full, their whole attitude, their little mental attitude changes. Like, and so that reward of a full crop in the field after a hard day, they remember that too. Just like they'll remember stealing. They remember that reward. And so the next time when they see that rabbit run, oh, hell Yeah. I'm going to keep going after that bad boy because I know, I know what I get if I do it right. But by the same token, if you do, if you trade off wrong, I worked my ass off and all you did was take from me. And then they're not going to fly very hard the next time. It was kind of crazy to, to like hold it and actually realize that what's Remus. Yeah. Or he has a, he has a personality. Yeah. Yeah. And his personality is even different from his brother. You know, they're the clutch mates. They were raised the same, same, you know, there were, there were group, there's different ways to raise a hair sock. Some are raised by just two parents. He was what they call group raised. So all the Harrises are in one big cage together. So they have more than one parent necessarily. And, and so he was group raised. So they both raised exactly the same, but Remus people are great. You saw him. I mean, I pulled yeah. him out. You can have him to a little kid. All right. I'm fine. His brother's a little more standoffish, right? Now his brother, his brother's a little more creative about the way he hunts. Right. I mean, his brother's a little, a little crazier about it, but, but he's, you know, so anyway. So let's talk about, uh, the, the Hawkeye, we kind of briefly touched on earlier, the Hawkeye bird and animal control. Yeah. And how that, cause that's a, <clears throat> it's a very interesting way to go about pest control. Yeah. Well, they, so, okay. And so let me, let me start off with this, just the disclaimer that, you know, you'll see people who, um, and I saw this the other day on the, Florida game hawkers where we were talking about somebody wanted to bring someone to bring a bird. So their 11 year old could learn about birds of prey, which is that education thing, which is what we did as a group today. Right. And you'll see somebody always comment, well, that's not falconry. Well, of course, no, it's not. Yeah, you're right. Cause falconry is only hunting and taking game with a bird of prey. So yes, you're right. It's not, but is it illegitimate somehow? No. Right. So a lot of people would think, would say, and I'm just prefacing it with this because I'm sure there'll be falconers listening to this, that a lot of people will say, well, you know, abatement, that's not falconry. You're just chasing birds away. You're not, you know, trying to kill them. You're just harassing them. 
And okay. But all the skills necessary, like the education we did today, do you think that we could have done that education if I didn't have the skill of a falconer to teach that bird what I taught him? No, absolutely no, not. Absolutely yeah. not. And, 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 and once again, you may not understand how you feel yet, but what is your impression of a bird of prey after having held that bird today? What, I mean, when you see a bird of prey, when you're out hunting now and you see a bird of prey, do you think you're going to act, behave, or think differently based on what you what happened today? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely Let me, yeah. I can tell you right now. I still might get mad if it takes my duck, but. <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's fair. Uh, before this, you know, I always looked at the bird of prey. It's a, they're powerful. They're really neat to see. It's, it's mm-hmm. awesome to watch them catch game in the field. But then to get up close and personal with and your. to see the personality. Yeah. Yeah. You, to understand that they are their own individual. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's uh the the level of intelligence packed into that that little, little brain, brain up there. yeah yeah well and I always joke that people are like well what is it like I'm like did you see Jurassic Park do you remember the great hunter and he's sitting there and he's trying to hunt the Velociraptor and he, the last thing he says is clever girl that's what it's like dealing with the bird of prey yeah right yeah. she she distracted him while one of another one flanked her so I'm gonna take bird brain as a compliment from now on you should <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um so anyway that's uh, but so what uh, the way it does work for pest control is, is that, you know, you have to have a federal abatement permit and let's say you have a hotel, right? And you've got, and this is also why I say, you know, no, it's not falconry, but you better be a skilled falconer because instead of being in the field with you and your buddies and rabbits, you're in a hotel pool and now you got yeah. four, 400 people with little children and everything else. And you got to manage a bird of prey to chase crackles. Right. And they're like, well, why would you do that? Okay. Well, I'll give you an example. We had a hotel. Fancy. These are only fancy hotels, you know, because, you know, your, your uh, yeah. Motel 6 ain't paying for a Falconer to come drive away the Grackles, right? Right. So fancy hotel on the beach, whatever. They got a pool. And they got people, you know, they have a, a restaurant right there by the pool. Well, you know, Grackles, I call them little thugs because they are thug birds. I don't know if you've ever dealt with Grackles, but they're thugs. They don't care. They're just like, yeah, whatever. That's my friend's <laughs> right. That, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, that, exactly. They will land right in your plate. They don't care if you're sitting there. They don't care. They're like, that's my, my food, right? So anyway, so they were comping their guests about $800 every weekend, every day of the weekend for drinks and food because grackles were either landing in their food, stealing their food, doing whatever. And, and so they were, they're like, oh, so sorry. And they'd give them new food and extra drinks, whatever. Well, you could pay us $400 for that same day. And there ain't no grackles around for that period of time because there's a hawk up on the roof. While he may not, may or may not kill any of them, he comes down after him, and you know, and 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 the thing is, grackles are such thugs. Unless the hawk is above them, they don't care. Like if I'm carrying him on the fist, they're like, "What is he going? What's he going to do?" Yeah, yeah. You know? But if he's up high, I got to learn. You got to get them to learn. Like as you know, Romulus, he knows he has to get up on the top of the hotel and be like down there, and then I'll call him down every once in a while, you know, so they know here comes a hawk. Whoa. Right. And then I let him go back up and then I got to keep moving around the property, calling him to different locations. So they're like, oh, he's serious. He's, he's going to come this in bird's on hunting. <laughs> yeah. He's going to come in on us. So, so it doesn't kill generally any of the birds very often. I'm not saying it never kills a bird, but it generally doesn't. Um, and it keeps the birds away for that specific, specified period of time. Plus all birds, but just a, sh- just a few exceptions are all protected. They're all protected species. So, you can't trap them. You can't do anything to them unless you get a, a, a special permit um, from U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And one of the ways you can get that permit is by showing non-lethal means used first. And one of the specifically mentioned means is abatement with a bird of prey. So let's say you got grackles galore. You fly a bird of prey for so many months. 
you go and say, hey, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, we still got this problem. We've done our best to abate it. Then they give you a depredation permit, and then you can trap and take care of it that way. But you can't do that uh, without doing something else first. And so that's why it's it's good for, you know, it, and that's it's one of the unique ways. Plus, the guests seem to like it, although some of them get a little too into it. You know, it's like you're trying to be you're trying to be you're just trying to blend at the background. You and your hawk. Right. And you got right. some guy going, kill it. Get it to kill it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bring him down. Like, hey, Bill Merritt, you need to be, pay, be, be paying attention because I'll pay extra to come stay there. If you can let me watch. And I'm looking at the guy going, hey, come on, man. There's little kids. Kill it. Get them to kill it. I, like, right. I would be that guest. Yeah, I'm I'm like, that, I'm guest. Like, that would be me. <laughs> oh, oh, get it, get it, get it, get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and you know, people ask me, what is it like hunting with a bird of prey? And I say, it's to me, it's sort of like fishing times ten. When you see like a rabbit bolt that's running forty miles an hour, and you see this bird that's sort of like an extension of you coming at 40, 50 miles an hour, and they collide. I mean. I get like real emotional. I'm like, I'm sitting there. You'll see pictures of me. My mouth is wide open. I'm screaming, you know, I mean, that's what it's like. Um, but anyway, yeah. So the guests get a little, I try to be low key, but the guests uh, sometimes get a little too into it. No, I can understand. It, it's something that's just, you don't see that every day. Yeah. No. Right? Even if you're, even, even when you're, you know, you spend as much time out in the woods as like we do, we're wandering around, we're scouting for deer, we're hunting squirrels. You still don't see a bird of prey every day. No. And even rarer than that, do you see one actually take game? Yeah. Well, and and this probably goes into the hunting story part. I don't know if you, I can wait till we get to that. Or uh, that's all right. You all right. We're there. Uh, yeah, we're yeah, there. We're okay, there. good. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, Hawkeye Bird and Animal Control, we do both the abatement work and we do the educational work like you saw today. We have a falconry school permit where we can come and do a, you know, when you go on a birthday party for your kid or you want, and we can bring more than one bird and they can fly the bird and people can hold the bird, get pictures taken with the bird and, uh, it's an educational experience, but it's also uh, something that, you know, I mean, you just don't see otherwise. It's not done very often. But um, but getting back to the story, one of the hunting stories I have was, so there was a, a hunting ranch, a shooting ranch, and I was trying to, you know, I, when I was younger, I was trying to get, get in with them because I'm like, well, you know, they got wing shooting, and it was like it was like a, a exotic game ranch. They had, like, you know, red deer or whatever. I don't know, all kinds of weird stuff, water buffalo. I don't know. But they also did wing shooting. They had a lot of quail. And I figured, well, you know, they got plenty of rabbit out there, right? And they're not hunting the rabbit, right? And I was like, hey, you know, let me hunt the rabbit. Maybe you just, you know, people can't hunt with me necessarily, but you can have them on the swamp bucky and watch, right? You know, so I was trying to convince them of that. It never worked out. But I did go hunting there. And there's a guy there that's like a guide. And, he, you know, this guy's out hunting, you know, three, four days a week, every single week, right? You know, so I didn't expect him to get too riled up about it right well so we're in the big of this we're in this big swamp buggy right we're all the way up in the air and 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 i got the bird in my hand the bird doesn't want anything to do with the swamp buggy so she's like you know what i'm gonna go hit the pines and follow you okay okay buddy i'm like <laughs> okay so she's in the pines following us as we're driving along and normally you really can't get rabbits out of saw palmetto but like he's just running the saw palmetto over with the swamp buggy right so right. so but still not much is coming out although a raccoon came out and she or was it a no it was a possum and she attacked the possum, and I had to get her off of that. I'm like, that possum's going to kill you. What, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but anyway, so there's one point where I'm walking the field, and he's, I just got down, and, and she's up in the tree. And, uh, and a rabbit comes running out of the saw palmetto. And it was a great, great flight and a great hit. Like, she hit the rabbit, like, really, really hard. I mean, and, and she came, I don't know why, but, I mean, I want to say the, the bird was reaching 40 to 50 miles an hour at that point. Jeez. I don't know what the deal was, but... She was like a rocket that day. 
and she hit that rabbit. And this guy, like I said, hunts three, four days a week. He was jumping up and down like a kid. I ain't never seen nothing like that before. And he's like jumping in a circle and pumping his fists. And, you know, and I'm like, all right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I mean, yeah. you know, this is like an experience. The guy that hunts hunted more than I ever will in my life. And he was all fired up about it. He, he thought that was the best thing ever. Oh, the guys that are sitting here are all thinking next time their kids have a birthday, they're going to yeah. go like, call you. <laughs> yeah. Then they're going down to PetSmart and cleaning them out, little white rabbits, and saying, we're going to have us a party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget the petting zoo. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this, kids, is how we learn how to hunt cottontail. Yeah. <laughs> Turn the lot of it loose. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and you know, eventually at some point now, people, the educational permit doesn't allow us to uh, actually allow people to hunt, but it does allow to demonstrate hunting technique. We've got some pretty good friends at NAVDA that are dedicated quail hunters. Could you hunt in conjunction with them where essentially they're hunting the flush and then you always have the stragglers that, that get away? Would your bird then take the stragglers or would that be something that's really uncomfortable because you don't want them there while, they, well, maybe, while the guys are unloading on the quail? Well, yeah, there's that. A, he's not going to tolerate the loud noises of the guns. Uh, and two, Harris Hawks have their dogs. They're, they're dogs. Like, if it's their dog, it's cool. If it's anybody else's dog, they ain't going to tolerate that either. In other words, mine had a relationship with my German shorthair. And even, you know, the bird, when she was free in the field, and, and the, the German shorthair would have its head sticking out of the back of my buddy's Toyota with the back window down, she could fly anywhere she wanted. She'd go fly and sit on the spoiler on top, just above that dog's head, because it was her dog. So if she saw somebody else's dog, the screaming would start, the hackles would come up, whatever. So... Really? Yeah, they don't. If if it's a dog, they know it's great. If it's a dog they're raised with, great. If it's somebody else's dog, they know the difference, and that's a threat to them. So, oh, it goes back to that whole, yeah, mine, mine, mine. Well, it's yeah. not just mine. No, they see them as a threat to them. Oh, like, to, like to a the, predator, like a predator. They, if it's their dog, it's it's oh, that's my buddy. But if it's a, just a dog, other than that, they see it as a threat. Generally, in my experience. So tell tell us uh, some of your your most memorable hunting trip so far to date. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, so some of them are funny cause some of them are, 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 are me hunting and some of them, I'm going to tell you at least a couple that are, are Falcon stories because those, those, you know, that always cracks me up. Um, the, one of the, one of my early days hunting, we, uh, we would hunt red tails in the cane fields and there's an area of the cane fields. So this was the Okilanta fields, uh, in Palm Beach County. And the supervisors used to come watch us, like, you know, and they would give us pointers about where to go and not to go. Now they, they won't even let you on there. But back then they would, and uh, they'd even watch. And so they had an area that we called the hammocks. Now, the hammocks had oaks. It was like a place they stored equipment. It wasn't in the middle of the cane fields. There used to be some buildings there or whatever. And they have discers, right? And I'll never forget this. The guy, one of the, the guy that was an apprentice with me, he had a red tail. And I saw the rabbit run. And, and I've seen, because I'm, I'm on the board of Bush Wildlife, I've seen injuries to birds of prey. I've seen injuries to falconers birds of prey where they shatter a shoulder and that's it. They're done, right? So I'm sitting here and I'm watching the rabbit. And, and rabbits are a heck of a lot smarter. I don't know, like I said, I've never hunted one with a gun, but they're a hell of a lot smarter than you give them credit for. Like I've seen a rabbit. It senses, the, they know they're being chased by a hawk. The wind picks up to their left. You'll immediately see them turn at a 90 degree angle and go right into the wind. They, and I, th I thought at first it was just an anomaly, but it's not. They have an instinct. They understand that the wind is coming this way. The hawk has to fight the wind. I have a better chance to get away. It's weird. But anyway, so this rabbit's running, 
and it's running right at the disker, right? And I've told you, hawks get blinders on. All they see is the target. They don't see anything else around it, right? So I'm watching this hawk, full swings, coming, going right, you know, using that ground cushion of air, going right after that rabbit, right into the disker. And I'm like, I'm getting sick. I'm just watching this. I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. The rabbit runs right between the discs. The hawk folds its wings together and one hops through the discs, comes out the other side, opens its wings, goes after it and catches it against like an old foundation, like about 20 yards after that. I was throwing my beating pole. I was jumping up and down. I was yelling. I was like, I'd never seen anything like that. He went right through the disker. He knew enough to close his wings. And like he said, he used one foot to just hop to make it through and keep flying. Like all, all on the fly, just like that, to catch the rabbit. That's you won't insane. see that on Sports Center. Yeah. No. no, I and I've only ever seen that once. And let me tell you, I mean, I literally I I I was so overwhelmed by that. I mean, you know, like I said, I I didn't I didn't stop shouting for like five minutes. It was great. But so this is kind of a funny story, and I, I actually talked to the Falconer. I'm probably gonna have uh uh early dinner with him after we're done here today, but uh a guy named a guy named who lives near here named Robert Miller. And Robert is an excellent falconer, and he he flies falcons. He used to fly. He used to be a dirt hawker like me, and I make fun of him now because he flies the long wings. He doesn't fly the broad wings like like us, the Harrises and the Red Tails. He flies peregrines. Um, and uh, he had a captive bred peregrine falcon, and you know we all like to give our hawks really cool names. And his hawk's name was Drogo. You know, like from Game of Thrones, called Drogo. So it's yeah. Drogo, right? Drogo the falcon. So we have. <laughs> He's got Drogo and looking and listen, Drogo is an excellent Falcon and, and, and I'll never be able to fly a Peregrine like, like Robert can. Cause no, I don't, I have never seen anyone better at it. To be honest with you. I haven't seen everybody do it, but I've never seen anybody better at it than him. But anyway, so it's a falconry meet and Robert and I both have the philosophy of the people are going to probably mess up our hunts, but we want them to see if they're willing to come to the meet, we're going to take them with us. Cause a lot of them, people just take off and like, don't let the newbies or people who want to be Falconers come. We understand that we're not there necessarily to take game. We're there to go after game. And if we don't, we don't, whatever. Right. So he's, we're going to go duck hunting. We're duck hunting, right. With, 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 with Drogo. And so we find this pond and that's the thing about hunting with a, a long wing is, is driving, 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 find a pond, two minutes of flight back in the car, driving, 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 find another pond. That's, that's how it goes. Whereas, you know, we're in a field all day, right. Or whatever. So. We are at this pond. It's on the border of some big development. It's a big, you know, probably, I don't know, eight or 10 acre pond. It's got ducks all over it. So Robert takes the falcon. It's hooded and he walks to the far side of the pond and we're on the berm on this side. Now, when you're hunting duck with a falcon, you have to get the ducks off the pond. They have to be in the air. Okay. A duck will dive. A duck, if the, if the falcon goes into the water, the falcon's done for the day because if it's once its wings are wet, it can't fly anymore until it's dry. So, so a lot of people will use like a bullwhip. Some people will use a bullwhip for that. One guy will be out there with a bullwhip, crack the bullwhip to scare the ducks because, you know, you're not, you can't fire a gun or anything. So you, you, they use a bullwhip and crack it and get the ducks that way. Well, in this case, our job was to run and act stupid and scream and holler to get the ducks off the pond for the bird. So we're like little kids hiding, you know, behind the berm on the far side. And I can see Robert in the distance. And falcons, the way falcons hunt is they ring up. Okay. And what that means is, is a, no bird, but a falcon, they don't fly directly up to a thousand feet. Okay. They fly in a ring and they use the thermals. 
So they fly one ring, then they, they, they go in a sort of a diagonal, a higher ring and a higher ring, and they use the thermals to get up to, to, to the height you want them at. And, and that's a whole different training. People use drones for that. They use kites. They use all things to train the falcon to get to the appropriate height before they, you know, the attack height. Let's put, call it that. So Drogo's at about 700 feet, right? And he's up there, and, and, I'm, and it's, it's the afternoon, and I'm looking into the sun, okay? And I can see Drogo, and he's, he's circling still. And I'm looking into the sun, looking into the sun, and there's this dark shape in the sun. All I can see, it's the, the sun's behind it, so all I can see, and I'm like, is that a crane? Is that a, is that, a, I can't tell what that is, right? And I see it coming our direction, but I, I can't make it out. It's just a big bird. I'm like, well, what is that, right? And then you see Drogo coming around the ring and you see him almost intersect where the dark shape is coming from. And then I saw the dark shape turn and it was a bald, a bald Eagle. And then you see him go right after the Falcon. He gets his, you can, well, I call it the landing gear. I, you know, no way for me to judge distance at the, at the height they were at, but if he had his feet out, he must've thought he was close enough to grab him. Right. So I don't remember how many expletives came out of my mouth, but I'm jumping up. I'm calling Robert. We're all screaming. We didn't need to do that. Robert already saw it. Robert gets out the lure and the lure, you know, people always see a lure training, a falcon swinging the thing in the air. That's your insurance policy. That's how you get your bird back when there's trouble. They know when they see the bird is trained to know that they see the lure, they're going to get fed, you know, a big piece of whatever. So they, they always come. Right. So the Eagle's got its feet out. I don't even think Drogo sees it because Drogo's a chamber raised bird. He's not, you know, a wild bird, right? He's never dealt with an Eagle. Right. And, and, uh, and Robert starts swinging that lure, and and I thought the I was like I was getting sick. I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna he's gonna kill in front of all these people. He's gonna kill the the falcon, right? But he soon he hits that lure, like gets two swings out. Drogo's oh meal time, <clears throat> you know, and and Drogo goes right into a stoop. Well, a, a dive, a stoop is called a stoop, and uh, you know he's probably coming in 115 miles an hour or better. There's no eagle ever gonna catch him, but I mean, he was real close to getting taken out. Um, and I, you know, and, and, and as crazy as that was, that's like one of those more, you know, those, those crazy stories where you're like, it, it, you know, you, you can't believe it till you see it. And, and that's another thing about hunting with Falcons. And this is one story I wanted to tell you was we were out, I forget where it was, but we were out at a, a dairy farm and we were hunting like dove or pigeon. We were trying to get them off the ground and, and the Falcons up in the air once again, you know, 800 feet. This is the first time I ever saw a Falcon hunt, by the way. And I didn't under I, I I didn't know what to expect because everybody's like, oh, you've never hunted a falcon, you don't understand. I'm like, well, it's it's a little bird, it comes down kind of fast, right? It dives and whatever. I don't I don't see the big deal, right? Whatever, man. It's because keeping a falcon is so much work. You know, my guy's a weekend warrior. I can do jump ups in the garage at night to keep him in shape. A falcon, you got to get be out there three four days a week, fly, really flying it to keep it in shape, right? You better have a lot of time to do that. It's not it's not a little thing. That's why they're more of an elite. Not really, but they're more of an elite class. But anyway, so so he's uh, you know, this is uh, and this was Drogo again. Drogo's up in the air and he's circling around. I'm like, yeah, okay. And there's another falcon. Her name is Amy Marquez, and Amy is a, also a photographer, and she's got this camera set to shoot. Um, I think it was it 17 frames a second is what was the was the speed I think on the shutter. Shutter speed was 17 frames a second. And so we, so Drogo's up there. We scare a dove. Not, I think it was a Eurasian dove, whatever. I don't know. Off the ground. So she locks in on the dove and she's following the dove because she knows the falcon's coming for it. 
So I'm watching the Falcon and I'm like, yeah, okay. So he's going to dive, whatever. Right. So the Falcon's just gliding along, you know, a little, whatever. And then he stops. And I tell I tell you, I don't, I still don't understand how this works. I've seen it. It doesn't make physical sense. It looked like someone fired the bird out of a gun. He went from level flight to such an acceleration that I did. I sat there I, when, when he was done, my mouth was open because I, it physically does not make sense when you see it. I understand they tuck their wings and they, they create this like real aerodynamic shape, but that wasn't it. It was the fact that he went from level flight to 120, 130 miles an hour, like nothing, like nothing. I mean, it wasn't a dive. It looked like someone fired him out of a gun. I'm like, what? And so he's coming down at the dove who's on the rise and he goes past him. And I'm like, well, after all that, he missed, right? He missed. No, nah, he didn't miss. He didn't nail him in midair. He just strafed him, and that was enough to kill him. You see the dove just fall, open its wings and fall to the ground, right? And then he comes down and starts eating, right? So then I'm like, oh, Amy, did you get that? Yeah, I followed the dove all the way up. I followed the dove all the way up, right? So she shows us the camera, and she's got the little dial that's like a cartoon. You know, each click is like one frame. And so you see these little minor wing beats of the dove and minor wing beats in, minor wing beats out whatever it was, 17 frames a second. There's one frame that shows the tip of the tail feathers of the Falcon as it went by in the lower left-hand corner. One frame. Holy crap. Jeez. That's how fast they're yeah. going. That and the other ripping. thing, and yeah, no, no, and ripping is the right word because the other thing, if you've ever seen a Falcon dive, which doesn't make any sense, is it sounds like the air is being torn. It makes a tearing sound. It's like, <laughs> that's what it sounds like when they're coming down. It's weird. It's a weird, weird thing. Awesome. But weird. I mean, for Durhawker, I was in awe. I didn't want to tell them that because, you know, I didn't, you know those guys. Don't already, let them get their head. Yeah, they already yeah. think they're too cool. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so they, how was that? I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. He got, he, he so got it. When you say it strafed it, it clipped it with a, was it, was with it, a talon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like you saw a couple feathers go out, but I was expecting to see Because a lot of times when a falcon hits a bird, you see an explosion. Like it hits it, you know, like a duck. It, it hits it and, you know, nails it to the ground with a lot of force and the force is what kills it. And if the force doesn't kill it, a Falcon has a special notch in its, in its beak and it surgically snips the spine of a bird. That's what it's designed to do. It reaches down and it has glad a, they're small. It has a, <laughs> yeah. Glad they're on your side, right? It reaches down and it's able to snip the spine of a bird or a duck or whatever. And that's what they do. That's how they kill generally. Um, so at least that's how Falcon does. But anyway, yeah, that uh, I saw that and I was like, Oh, okay. I get it. I get it now. I'm not going to do it because it takes too much time, but it, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's crazy. It, it, it absolutely does not make sense. That's amazing. I, I witnessed one time is when I was younger at a distance of about maybe 10 yards, uh, a Falcon snatch a dove out of midair all in the same motion. He grabbed it, threw it into a pine tree, caught it again the second time or hit the ground and disappeared. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the speed is, is almost unnerving. Yeah. I mean, I, that's what I found. I mean, I, I literally, I've been hunting for, you know, a decade when I saw that for the first time with, with birds of prey. And I literally sat there with my mouth open for a good minute, minute and a half with my eyes wide open going, what did, what did I just witness? Cause I don't, that don't, that doesn't make, I don't feel right. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure the only thing my dad said to me for the next five minutes was, did you see that? Did you see that? Yeah. Did you see that? Did, yeah. did you see, see that? Because we were just walking in the woods, and up went the dove, and then bam, just like that. It was, yeah, and, and oh. even even my hawk, he'll do that. Like, I've seen him. He loses a quail. It'll go over, try to get to the other side of the fence. He'll hit it again, and then he'll chase it down for the third time. But a falcon is, 
that's a whole other magnitude of speed and, and, and crazy that, um, that you don't, you know, like I said, it's, it's a great thing to, it's a very difficult way to hunt because like I said, you get one shot at that, then you got to go find the next pond with more ducks and you're driving around forever trying to find a pond with more ducks on it. So, but when you, when it goes well there, I will admit there is nothing quite like it. I mean, hunting rabbit is awesome. Hunting, hunting quail is awesome, but, but seeing any, any, seeing a falcon coming down from a thousand feet is, is, is absolute. It's, it really is insanity. It, it really is. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you joining us this week and, and bringing, uh, your bird with you. It's been such a cool experience thus far. And I look forward to, we stop this here in a few minutes and going back in there and, and being able to spend a little more time with him. But I want to make sure that if any of our listeners, <clears throat> um, they have any inclination to have you over for the educational stuff like that. How can they get a hold of someone to, to schedule that? Yeah. Stuff? Well, probably the easiest way is there's a, we have a Facebook page, Hawkeye bird and animal control. And if you go to that, um, and I'm sure I'll probably put in pictures of you chooches on my, uh, my, my page today <laughs> yeah. that I took while you're holding Remus. Um, it's all right with you. That is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely yeah. Uh, um, and We're, so we'll do the same. Yeah. And so you can go there. There's an eight, seven, seven number. It kind of goes to the, we have our, you know, because Hawkeye Bird Animal Control LLC is a is a combination of a Florida corporation and a Canadian corporation, so the number the call is toll free. I'll go to the receptionist up in Canada, and then they'll sort it out down here or whatever. But because uh, they have a full a full operation up in Canada too, so we'll definitely put the links to that stuff down in our in the uh, podcast description, so you guys can find it there. You have to look for it. You just scroll down after the description; it'll be right there for you. Cool. So we'll make that super easy. And uh, I actually found you through Game Hawkers of Florida, right? Florida Game Hawkers, Florida Game Hawkers, yeah, yeah. Which, which is a Facebook group. Yeah, and that's you know, there's a lot of people. There's also uh, a, there's that one, and there's also the Florida Hawking Fraternity. It's not quite as active as Florida Game Hawkers, but uh, and as far as the Florida Hawking Fraternity, I'm like the vice president and also a member or whatever. How that goes with the hair club for that. <laughs> anyway, the uh, the uh, the Florida Hawking Fraternity is the one that puts on the meets. So to the extent that there are people who are interested in it, generally our, our winter meet is usually in January. Sometimes it's a Mount Dora, but most often because we know the hunting grounds better, we go to Sebring um, and we have a banquet and you get to, you can meet, you know, and if you just, you're interested, you know, that's what it's for. We do it a, to get together and, and talk smack to one another for a weekend, you know, like hunters probably all hunters do, I guess, but we yeah, definitely yeah. do. Um, but it's also to showcase to individuals, what it's about. So if you want to come see it, that's the time to do it. It's usually, like I said, in the first couple of weeks of January. Um, so uh, all, there's a Florida Hawking fraternity page as well. And, you know, if, even if you're not a falconer, you can become an associate member um, and get all the mailings and whatnot. So that's also a good place to, because most of these groups, they have a Facebook group and they may have individuals that go out hunting once in a while, but we are the ones that put on, that I know of in the state of Florida, we're the ones that put on the event where you can actually go. And my buddy, Dan, my partner in business, Dan will, he did a class last year where he taught people how to make, if you want to learn how to make the jesses for the birds or the anklets and all, he explained how all that's done so you can at least see it. So if you ever want to, if you really want to do this, you're at leg up by understanding how to make equipment. Right. Well, I really that's appreciate awesome. you joining us this week. It was yeah. a lot of fun. It's been a blast. It was absolutely awesome. Yeah. Good. We're going to do our tip of the week. Oh, you're right, yeah. man. See, you almost forgot the tip yeah. of the week. I got so involved in this. I'm just over yeah. here. Yeah. You just got the bird Zoned on your in. mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool. The Under Pressure Outdoors tip of the week. Who wants to go first? I, I have been not been thinking about this at all once yeah. I'm caught off guard. No, I just knew we needed it, but I didn't. I don't have one. 
<laughs> I had something earlier and I, I forgot it. My tip of the week is go out and meet a guy that's got a falcon. Yeah. <laughs> or a hawk. Yeah. Bird. I, I would say, you know, if you can take away from, from listening to us talk about, you know, the falconry and the art of it today and, and the personalities of the birds, understand that when you see those birds in the wild, there is some, there, there's so much more to that bird than just it just being a, an animal, a bird. It's, it's, they're far more intelligent than I, I guess I want to, I want to say far more intelligent than I expected them to be, but I, I guess, but I didn't expect that level of intelligence or the, the personality out of a, out of a uh, hawk like this. It's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. They, that's, and one thing I would say is, look, you know, a lot of people think, you know, hawks are competition for game or hawks are, you know, the enemy, but uh, they're not. They, you know, the amount of game a hawk takes in a week is very minimal compared to what you're going to take with a gun. And so, yeah, he might take a, a bird here and there that you might want, but, he, you know, he's he's uh, part of uh, the creation out there. He's part of nature and he's doing his job. So, uh, you know, work along with him. Appreciate him when you see him, you know. Absolutely. When you see one for me, tell him hello. Okay, because he's he's really he's your buddy. He's not your enemy. That's all. That's what I just want everybody to understand. That they're a hunter. I really enjoy having around where squirrel hunting because they get the squirrels fired up far outside my range. You know, <laughs> right? And you know, you're like, well, maybe I need to go this way then, and yeah. you start walking where yeah. he just flew yeah. through. Yeah. That's and that's how you know the hawk is around. Birds are <laughs> right. screaming, squirrels are screaming, blue jay and blue jays will actually try to pretend they're squirrels. If you ever heard a blue jay try to make like a squirrel scream, they hmm. they all warn each other when they see a hawk, yeah. they cooperate. It's weird. They, they all start going. So my, my tip of the week would actually be to become more observant and actually take time to learn about things like various hawks or, or different birds or plants that actually have less to do with the species that we tend to pursue. Um, become a bit of an ornithologist. I, earlier I was chatting with Tim about um, red-shouldered hawks that live in my backyard and I stared at him with binoculars and I've got a bird book for a while and I was, well, is that a red-tailed hawk or is that a red-shouldered hawk? And what the key was actually was in their screech. And their, I don't know, what, what's the, what's the actual, uh, the, the call. I mean, the and, call. and, and, and I, that's, that'll be my tip of the week is that if you want to know what birds are prey around you, get an app and listen to the calls because yep. more often you're going to hear them before you see them. I know there's a kestrel that comes back to my neighborhood every year. I don't, you know, they're size of a sparrow, but I hear her long before I, I'll ever see her. So if you want to know what birds of prey are around you, get a get an app from Audubon or whatever and listen to the call of that particular bird because you're you're more likely ever going to, like an owl, you're more likely ever going to hear it than you're ever going to see it. That's exactly what helped me. The uh, the red-tailed hawk has the Hollywood yeah. know, screech, where the red-shouldered hawk, it's more of a, a cadence, a terrible at my hawk calls. It's always, okay. But, <laughs> Once, once you hear the difference, because I've sensed we have red-tailed hawks in the area as well, and it's interesting that I just I know which one is which instantly just by the call. Yep. And where I was really going with that whole long-winded narrative is that when people who are not as familiar with hunting in the outdoors as we are, they, there's a certain expectation that just somehow you naturally know these things. Like you've learned all this stuff through osmosis. And I found it's just that if you can discuss things that are not hunting related, but have more to do with just general outdoorsmanship and nature, it is easier for people who are perhaps uncomfortable with hunting to become 
comfortable with you and then of course more comfortable with what we do as a pursuit i'm gonna say uh don't be afraid to reach out to people if you really want to learn something new i mean just like we were able to reach out to tim and he was polite enough to kind enough to come out here and do all this for us and come and talk to us and never hurts to just reach out to somebody see what they say absolutely i guess mine would be keep an open mind a, a lot of people get stuck in this is the way i do it this is the way it's gonna happen and you could a lot of times even if you don't learn another a whole new method of doing something you might be able to take something that you can apply you know to be able to learn and do and new methods and become a better hunter or a better fisherman just by keeping an open mind and maybe talking to somebody about it. be a jack of all trades and a master of none there you go <laughs> <laughs> well until next week you know you guys will be able to scroll down that podcast description you'll find links to our facebook page our facebook group i need to start getting instagram in there i constantly yeah, forget about yeah. instagram and then uh i'm also going to put the links down there um for the hawkeye bird and animal control those links so that we can make sure that stuff you guys have easy access to that and uh hopefully you guys will schedule one of those educational classes because it's falconry experiences falconry experiences it's definitely an experience i'd love to make it to that meet in january yeah that That would be awesome awesome just to i mean not even have to really participate just go and observe yeah be awesome well, that's what that's what we do. We usually, you know, it's usually at least a group of. I mean, I have pictures. There's usually a group of like twenty or thirty of us. You know, last year we weren't so successful. You know, we got rabbits to run, so it was on us. Not the, you know, not the setup. People didn't get in the way. I mean, the rabbits were running. It was good slips, but we just didn't get it done. But people got to see the birds fly, and you know, so uh, that's the main thing. They get to see what what it's like. Uh, but yeah, January is when we do that, and probably going to be in Sebring again. In on the lakes is usually where we. Uh, and, uh, you can, you can check the Florida Hawking fraternity webpage. I can probably give you that too. If you want to put that in the, the links, and absolutely check back on future events when that's in there. All right. Sounds good. Tim, I really appreciate you joining us this week. We had a great episode and yeah. let's go ahead and pack this up and go visit Remus some more. All right. Yeah. All right. Great to be here. <laughs>